Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, January 4th, 2022. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book provides a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also, from that page, download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through the worksheet process. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they apply these tools in their lives. And it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, you can do so by calling in live at 563-999-3581. And if you choose to call that number and press 1 on your phone, it will put a little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I will turn on your microphone and announce you by your area code. 
And we appreciate when people do that because it tends to make it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. And the intention we have with this work is to be of service. That's why Michael and Jeannie spend all their time, intelligence, money, and energy to create their website and pay to host this Internet show and donate their time five days a week, one hour a day for what is soon to be 12 full years. It will be 12 years at the end of this month. And you can make it easier for that to happen by calling in and letting us know how is this landing with you. Is it a value? What would be of more value, etc.? If you're not able to be with us live and call in, you can send an email to genie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. Or you can email me at T-J-H at mindshifters-academy.org. We'll field the emails and comments and questions, answer them as we can, or discuss them on the Internet show And then as time allows, send you an email to let you know what day and time your comment or question was addressed, and you can listen back in the archives to hear what was shared. The archives are also available through whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And instead of clicking on the word start here, you can click on the picture of the microphone, and that will let you access the last almost 12 full years of Internet shows. You can also find some of them um, on mindshiftersacademy.org and specifically on the page that says Best of Audio Files, the shows from last week where I was on vacation are highlight shows during which I was processing my own emotions, my own worksheets and sharing them with the audience. Those are all curated out to be available right there. Mindshiftersacademy.org Best of Audio Files page. So, yesterday we were doing some discussion, talking about what direction we'll head for the rest of the year in these shows. And I had begun reading Lesson 35, the final lesson in the Way of Mastery book. You might say series of books, The Way of Knowing, The Way of the the Heart, The Way of Transformation, and The Way of Knowing. And so since no one has a hand up, I will go back to reading working our way fairly slowly through Lesson 35 since it is challenging us at many levels to question everything we've been taught by our families, our culture, our religion. And so please, as we go through this, uh, once again we'll remind ourselves that it's highly recommended that we stay present, that we stay tuned into what our thoughts are, what our physical sensations are, what our emotions are, and take 100% responsibility 
for the interpretation we're placing on the words we're hearing, for the negative emotional energies that might get resonated within us, and that we just, at whatever level, we're willing to move forward instead of just having the same old automatic response that we've always had or that we've developed over the years, that we take responsibility for dismantling those negative emotions, being gentle with ourselves as we do it, and then coming back to the material to to experience it without all the negativity being resonated. So the section we left off at was titled, Perceiving as a Master. And the text reads, Therefore, indeed, beloved friends, if you are to complete this study of the way of knowing, then know this, as you think, so shall you be. As you think, so shall you be. Now, there's great wisdom in this. It's not relocated specifically to the way of mastery. Um, there was a book that was um, published in the 1900s. Um, I believe the author's name is James Allen. The title of the book is As a Man Thinketh. And what you'll discover if you look at that book is that the the concepts of the power of thought to create have been known um, as a man thinketh as a book was published in 1902. And these concepts have been around for centuries before that. They just, in the late 18, early 1900s, there was a proliferation of people tapping into those more ancient source texts and writing about them in what at that time would have been the more modern language. So right here in The Way of Knowing, it says... If you are to complete this study of the way of knowing, you must know this. As you think, so shall you be. And that's exactly the the message in the book by James Allen. As a man thinketh, so shall he be. You become what you think of. You become what you value. You become what you pour your mind energy into, as Michael Rice would talk about it. The text goes on and says, how you think, how you choose to perceive and believe will determine what you see in the world. And this works in the present tense and the future tense. In other words, it determines how I'm going to experience things in the moment. And the more I pour my mind energy into this, like lesson eight in this book would tell us about lessons seven and eight and nine, talk about dropping the pebbles of thoughts into the still clear pool of my mind, 
and they send out ripples, and they are a creative force. The thoughts that I choose today will create my experience of tomorrow. So not only does it color my perception in the moment, it develops a pattern that has momentum that goes on creating in my life until I choose to change it. The last sentence I read was, how you think, how you choose to perceive and believe will determine what you see in the world. And what you believe you see will determine how you act. Now that's worded very carefully because as our scientists tell us today, people who research this, they tell us, our perception does not record reality or actuality. Our perception creates and constructs reality for each of us individually. So that's why the text here reads, and what you believe you see will determine how you act. It will determine the friends you keep, the kind of career you create, where you live, and how you feel. In other words, if you hold the thought that you cannot trust the universe to support you, you will look out and see a world that seems self-evidently to reveal to you that such a thought is true. You will then create behaviors to insulate yourself and never let the world know what you need and what you want. I, I misread that. It's let, never let the world know what you want. And then, of course, you will wonder why life seems to go on as it always has. Learn always to inquire, not out into the world, but into yourself. Quote, if I'm having this experience, what must I have believed to be true about myself and about the world? Close quotes. The truth will come through prayer and through honesty. When you discover it, you will know it. Then, use the sovereign power of free choice given unto you, which is the capital T truth of the capital K kingdom. In other words, this creative mind energy flowing through you, it's a creative force. Use that to choose otherwise. The text goes on and says, a master cannot blame and a master can never perceive him or herself as having been victimized. Yet, this mastery does not come through special spiritual power. It comes only through a simple and free choice. Remember, I said earlier that you are constantly creating your experience. You are free in this moment and in every moment to simply say, quote, I think I will adopt the perspective of a master. No sense in blame, no sense in feeling like a victim. What I am experiencing is wholly, totally, completely mine. I must, therefore, have wanted it. Close quotes. The text goes on and says, Always be very careful that you do not judge what is occurring. For that is the fault that people fall into, saying, quote, 
Why did I call this to myself, close quote? This is a horrible experience. Why, oh, why did I want this, close quotes? All of that is judgment and not gratitude. I learned at the crucifixion that I could feel and experience gratitude for my persecutors. I could feel gratitude for the whole context of experience that I had chosen to call to myself in order to discover that there are no circumstances powerful enough to prevent me from choosing for love. In the end, can there be a more powerful experience to call to yourself than that? Not the crucifixion with the nails in your wrists, but rather the power to see that in every moment of birth and death, of comings and goings, that nothing prevents you from the deep peace and joy of choosing love. For love, capital L, love, is not conditioned by the conditions of the world. How can it be when the world does not exist? Only you exist as a field of awareness that chooses to create perception and belief. Beloved friends, the world is unreal. In the end, the body is unreal, at least as you perceive it to be, for the body cannot limit you in any way. You already extend so far beyond it that it seems unimaginable and completely unbelievable. You are indeed the thought of love in form. But that form is not the body. It is merely the thought or the reality that is Christ. Christ is the essence of your higher self. Christ is the truth of who you are. The role of the body, then, can only be to bless, to comfort, and to extend love. Two lovers find fulfillment, find the fulfillment of their lovemaking in your physical plane when each delights only in blessing, comforting, and extending love. Each learns to receive that desire from the other as an act of love toward that one. One says, Oh, let me massage your shoulders. And the other responds, okay. For relationship is the means of your salvation. And holy relationship is always a simple, joyful dance of two who recognize truly that only love is real and that they want nothing else. You are indeed a sovereign master of your domain. You cannot fail at any moment. Any form of experience that is unfolding for you is merely the fruit of the seeds of thoughts that you have planted within your mind. Look at the outcome in order to discover the thought. First say, what a good girl I am, or good boy I am. That was a rich experience. And then merely ask, I wonder what I might most want to experience now. For rest assured, you will experience it. You can either claim dominion over your life and become the conscious director of your life experience, 
or you can abdicate it to someone else, such as your government, your employer, or what have you. You are totally free to do that if you remember to claim it as a sovereign act, such as, quote, I am commuting two hours on this freeway to a job that I don't like and commuting home for two hours every day. Because of the sovereignty of my total mastery, I choose to do so, close quotes. For that is the only reason you can find yourself in any place at any time. As a sovereign master, you are free to follow me. You are free to choose only your loving thoughts. You are free to remember only your loving thoughts. You are free to embrace whatever comes up that may be unlike love and simply accept that if it must that it must be an old seed getting cooked and that you are free to embrace it with love. This is why there can be no feeling that must be judged or avoided. Feelings of despair or feelings of sadness are merely something left over from a past thought. In the act of embracing them, you have already decided with love. And love alone heals all things. Just think of this. As a sovereign master, you choose without lifting a finger to call into the domain of your experience a form of communication with an ancient friend, Yeshua ben Joseph. Out of the field of your sovereign domain as a living master, you have chosen to bring the way of mastery into your domain. You have chosen to bring that called Shanti Cristo into your domain. There must be a reason for it. There must be a desire for it. Is that not the desire to discover ever more deeply if there is anything possibly obstructing you from experiencing greater joy, greater peace, greater wisdom, greater Christed consciousness? Indeed, beloved friends, a master never ceases in growing him or herself. A master is never finished. Do not think that you can come to the end of some form of experience, perhaps even with the death of the body-mind, and suddenly be at the finish line, for there is no such thing as a finish line. There are only realms that you can grow into in which creation is indeed far more blissful than it is in the physical realm. But creation continues. Your responsibility and your sovereignty and your domain and your dominion continue. For the further you go into creation itself, the greater the responsibility for you are dealing with greater power. Thus the need for vigilance and discipline does not go away. It increases but a master welcomes it. For through it, through that vigilance and discipline, even greater creations can flow through their holy mind. 
Did you know that it is possible to birth an entire solar system with a single with a single thought? Now, if you've ever baked a very good chocolate cake, you know something of what it will mean of what it means to create. If you've ever written a poem, if you have ever birthed a child, if you have ever planted a seed and watched it grow, then you know and understand the great satisfaction of creating. Imagine merely holding a thought in the mind and then experiencing the actual birthing of an entire solar system. It is indeed a great delight. Imagine birthing that which is called a course in miracles merely by holding the thought of it in its completed form and then letting that wave emanate and join with another mind who happens to be in the physical domain and does all the work. That is the power that is available to you. As you choose to embrace yourself as a master, as you choose to look upon each and every moment of your experience as a holy self, as completely self-created, that is waiting for your blessing. You come to see that there is power and freedom in choosing to bless with gratitude all of your creation. This section is titled, Blessing All Your Creations. Choose to embrace yourself as a master as you choose to look upon each and every moment of your experience as a completely self-created, as wholly self-created, That is waiting for your blessing. Everything that comes to you is waiting for your blessing. And then you come to see that there is power and freedom in choosing to bless with gratitude everything. Even those things you had previously resisted, pushed away, run from, attacked. The text goes on and says, and then to say, quote, this has been so fantastic. It might be fun to have something even greater happen now. It was great being with that lover, but what the heck, they've just recently died. So I think I'll open up to something even greater, close quotes. It is that kind of an attitude that expands the kingdom, capital K, kingdom. The domain of your consciousness and it expands until the day arises when the physical universe can no longer contain you. And you will simply outshine the body itself. This has occurred, period, this has occurred. Some minds have outshined the body before the body was ready to die. They merely dissolved into light, and that was the end of it. It is not necessary, however, to do so. For the experience of what is called, quote, death, close quotes, in your world, is just another experience. If you bring your awareness to it, you will discover in the day of what you call death that it is actually rather delightful. As your attention withdraws from the body, you become the witness of the 
gasping of the lungs, the building up of the fluid, and you watch it with disinterest, you're already vibrating in the energy of bliss, which is the essence of your soul. Death, then, is quite simply nothing. Remember how I started this by saying, please watch, please watch. What gets stirred up in you when the text says, so you have a lover, it seems to be the love of your life, you're there loving each other for years, and then they die. And then you simply say, well, I wonder if I can create something even greater and move on. That was lovely, that was wonderful, that was a fantastic experience. Let me go create something else. In our culture, this is virtually unheard of. In our culture, we've actually had people call the Internet show who've talked about how their grief is so valuable to them. As in 2012 or 2013, I think, where a woman called in, and she was from somewhere out in the Denver area. She'd been calling in from time to time. And she'd been to a grief support group, and she was talking about the wonderful value of these deep, sobbing, cathartic, crying sessions they would have once in a while. But they would, they would have them on a regular basis in this grief group and how, how valuable it was. And, how, and Dr. Michael Rice was trying to talk to this woman about the possibility that that's all created in her mind and that if she likes it, she can keep doing it. But when she fi- if and when she finds out that it's not productive, that she's just cycling through the same grief and sobbing and crying over and over again, she might want to step back and take a look at how the thought structure that she's pouring her mind energy into, her beliefs about how she must be in this wailing, screaming, crying, grieving in order to demonstrate how much she loved the person that she lost, that that thought structure itself is what is perpetuating itself. And that it isn't necessarily an automatic process. And it's something we're taught. It's something we're conditioned to by the culture. It's something that gets rigidified over generations. And yet, it's also just a set of thoughts and beliefs. And if we're willing to question them, if we're willing to breathe through them, if we're willing to try on pouring our mind energy into a different thought pattern, we can create an entirely different experience of life. Now, I don't advise that you try to tell this to somebody who's in the middle of their grief or right after a pet has died or right after a friend has died or right after someone has divorced them that they didn't want to divorce them. I don't advise that. I'm recommending that you, listening to a teaching like this, begin to question every belief you have. That's what Krishnamurti would call you, to question everything in thought, every belief, and to see it as old, dead thought, and to see it as something that separates you from the direct, vital, alive experience of life in the moment. This work calls us to understand even more directly how we are creating our experience of life by where we choose to point the focus of our conscious awareness. So please don't wait until you're in the middle of a big loss or a big grief crisis or a big 
job loss or in a panic because you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Use your power to question and observe, and as Rilke would call us to, to live in the moment. Use it now from the comfort and safety of your relative health and abundance to understand in these little things, oh, I'm upset because I I just missed getting through that light because this person was on their phone and didn't realize that it had gone green and now it's yellow and they get to go and I'm stuck here behind the red. I have a little irritation at that. Use this process to recognize I'm the one creating the irritation in that moment. Try it with the little things. Some people don't think getting stuck behind a second stoplight is a little thing. They think it's a big thing. But for whatever's a little thing for you, whatever's a medium intensity thing for you, try to use this process of awareness and questioning for the little things. Dr. Rice used to present the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop and introduce the worksheet and say, we recommend that you Pick an issue that you're going to do your worksheet on that's on a scale of 0 to 10 where 10 is the most upset you can have, that it's a a 1 or a 2, a 3 at the most, a tiny little, just a little thing. Practice these questions or the use of the worksheet or the EFT tapping or the breath work with the little things. Remember, please try to remember, The time to learn to shoot the bow and arrow is not when the bear is charging you. It's in the comfort and quiet and safety of an outing to the archery range with a good teacher there to teach you the safety and the proper technique where there's no harm is going to come to you if you don't hit a bullseye every time. The same thing here. Listen Pay attention, feel in your body the tension that arises when they're asking us here to bless everything that happens in our lives. Blessing all of your creations means accepting everything in your life, embracing it, allowing it, surrendering to it, blessing it, And watch what happens. Watch what comes up in you as that's recommended. So I'm going to read that. It's a relatively short section. Again, it's titled, Blessing All of Your Creations. And the text reads, As you choose to embrace yourself as a master, as you choose to look upon each and every moment of your experience as completely self-created, something that is waiting for your blessing, you come to see that there is power and freedom in choosing to bless with gratitude all of your creation, everything that's ever happened to you in your life. Again, I don't recommend that you tell that to somebody who's in the middle of a grief process or who's just lost a child or who's just gotten a critical diagnosis. But... When you have the time and the safety and the distance and the strength to practice something new and different as a way of creating a new life for yourself, think about blessing all of your creations with gratitude. The text goes on and says, and then to say, 
quote, this has been so fantastic. It might be fun to have something even greater happen now. It was great being with that lover, but what the heck, they've just recently died. So I think I'll open up to something even greater, close quotes. Again, some of us are trained to believe that if I skip along blissfully after my lover dies, it means I didn't love my lover. I didn't cherish my lover. I didn't value our time together. This book, these deeper spiritual teachings will ask us to question that. Ask us to understand that that's all a fabrication. That everything we think we know about our life is a complete fabrication. All of the rules that we set up for this should be this way and this should be that way. We're free to set them up. We're free to try and live our lives by them. And we are creating our experience as we do that. So every time we have an experience that we don't quite like, this work is asking us to be willing to step into 100% responsibility for what we create. And then to bless it and say, well, what can I learn from this? I must have called this to myself for some reason. What's the lesson in it for me? How how is this going to turn out to be more of a blessing than I could have imagined? The text goes on and says, It is that kind of an attitude that expands the kingdom, the capital K kingdom, that expands the domain of your consciousness until the day arises when the physical universe can no longer contain you. And you will simply outshine the body itself. This has occurred. Some minds have outshined the body before the body was ready to die. They merely dissolved in light, and that was the end of it. That is not necessary, however. It's not necessary to do so. For the experience of what is called, quote, death, close quotes, in your world, is just another experience. If you bring your awareness to it, you will discover in the day of what you call death that it is actually rather delightful. As your attention withdraws from the body, you become the witness of the gasping of the lungs, the building up of the fluid, and you watch it with disinterest. For you are already vibrating in the energy of bliss, which is the essence of your soul. Death, then, is quite simply nothing from this perspective. Now, just notice what gets stirred up in you. And if you've been listening to this show for years or even just the last couple years, you will have heard Dr. Michael Rice talk about just in the past couple weeks. He's talked about let's have a party in 4949 and let's, let's quit dying and let's save the body. and let's. That's just another perspective. He's going to be doing that in his work while doing most of everything else that this work is talking about, choosing for love, understanding that anything that's less than love that shows up in his awareness has messages for him, is a guidance system for him, is a prompt to pick up a worksheet, 
So just notice, if you get caught up saying, but wait, which is right, which is wrong, it doesn't really matter. These are, these are tricks of the mind to say this is right, that is wrong, this is good, that is bad. And, and what this work is calling us to every day at deeper and deeper levels is paying attention to what we're doing with our mind energy and what we're creating within ourselves, whether it's pleasure or pain tension or relaxation, constriction or contraction or expansion and extension and openness. Just pay attention because ultimately the thing that can't be escaped from is we are creators. We are creating our experience. Earlier in this very lesson it said, when it talks about creating as a master, it said, in the previous lessons, we've given you many, many tools and much deep and profound understanding to assist you in the simple decision of complete responsibility for every moment of your experience. For in the end, I can only give you this. I cannot relieve you of what you may perceive yet to be the burden of the fact that you are constantly creating, that you are indeed a creator. Likewise, I would not wish to unburden you from that because it is an incredible shimmering awareness and responsibility. It is the freedom, the fun of knowing that as a sovereign master of your domain, you're free to create whatever your heart most truly desires. So what's the secret then? As I've shared with you many times, it's to practice seeking first the kingdom. Step outside your conscious logical thoughts. Quit relying on the servant within you, the rational mind, the conscious logical mind. Quit relying on it as your master. Quit trying to figure it out. Never let a day go by in which you fail to ponder the great mystery of creation's presence. Everything is a mystery. Step into the divine ignorance that this book calls us to at many different places. Step into the realization that I don't know what anything is or is for. I don't know what any of my brothers and sisters need. I don't know when I was created. I don't know by who or how I was created. And any thoughts I might have about that are just playful thoughts. They're just part of the trivialities that have been shoved into my intellect by my family and my culture. Never let a morning go by that you fail to begin your day except in this way. So start every day this way. Quote, I surrender all thought of who I think I have been and what I know and what I have believed. And I rest in gratitude to that which has birthed me. I ask only for it to be revealed to me greater truth, greater wisdom, greater capacity to know in direct experience, not intellectually, but in direct experience, to know and extend perfect, capital L, love. Perfect trust and perfect peace. Start every morning that way. Start every morning 
surrendering everything you think you know and everything you've ever believed and rest in gratitude for your mere existence and conscious awareness of life itself asking only to have things revealed to you so that you can experience more directly capital L love perfect love perfect peace perfect trust You can't turn off that you're a part of the creative process. You can't figure it out. I did a piece of work earlier this morning with a a person that comes and we do energy work on each other, the neuroemotional technique. And after three or four releases, I sat up and and I didn't I didn't know what to say to her. She said, "How are you?" She said, "You look different." And I said, I don't know what to say. And then I started to try and put some words together. But the realization, the full-fledged decrease of energy, of tension, the, the movement into allowance and surrender, the, the insights the sights about what's going on inside of me and how I was creating low self-esteem thoughts, emotions of fear, emotions of being miffed, all of those things, they shifted in me and I didn't have any words for explaining this to the person sitting in front of me. And she'd been engaged with me in this work. I don't know how it happens. I don't even know how to put it into words. All I can tell you is after these worksheets, like the ones I was presenting in the shows last week, when the shifts happen, they're real. They're real energetic and sometimes insight-driven shifts. But they were not derived from a logical thought process. I can build a a logical thought structure around it after the fact and say, oh, that makes sense this way and this way. But the fact of the matter is, for each of those worksheets that I was presenting last week, for each of those situations where I was in such upset that it drove me to do multiple worksheets, like more than 10 each for each of those shows, for some of them more than 30 each, What I was stuck in felt so real, and everything about what my conscious logical mind told me was creating it felt so solid that the fact of the matter is, I don't know how that dissipated eventually. I just know that after the shift happened, I didn't even have any words for it, but I didn't have any sense of urgency within me to change anything in the outside world, and I had a much deeper level of peace than when I was upset. There's a there was one of those situations that was presented in the shows last week where somebody ripped me off for a very large sum of money. And I had this churning in my stomach and feeling of nausea and like I, 
you know, sometimes pains were so intense, I thought, you know, if I didn't know this work, I would be on my way to an emergency room right now. But instead, I did the EFT tapping and the breath work and the worksheets, and eventually, several days later, with being willing to do worksheets in the morning and in the middle of the day and at night when I would wake up on the app, eventually, I had several different aha little shifts, but I don't know why that, what was creating the pain in my stomach, and I don't know why it went away. And I can, all I can tell you is not a single penny of the money that was ripped off from me was returned to me. It's not like some fairy tale happy ending, except it's a fairy tale happy ending because I have comfort and calm and peace and can send loving thoughts to that person even though nothing has changed on the outside. There aren't words for the power of that kind of a shift. Just like there aren't words for the resistance that might come up in most of us when we read a section like this in the way of Mastery Lesson 35 where it asks us to bless everything that has ever happened in our lives. Everything we've experienced, why would I bless it? Because my higher self, my true self, stepped into experiencing it just the way I experienced it. So there are just a few more pages in Lesson 35. I believe we'll, we'll get to those tomorrow unless people want to do worksheets or or raise a hand, but that'll be enough of the reading for today. But the the intensity of what happens when we take deeper and deeper responsibility for creating everything we experience, and especially all of our negative emotional states, the intensity of what happens goes beyond words. So I can't really say too much about it except if I'm in pain, I'm in error or my thoughts are in error. If I'm in pain other than a physical pain that's caused by some severe damage to tissue, if I'm in a pain that's mental, emotional, psychological, The source of it is inside of me and the solution to it is inside of me. Guy Finley has in one of his talks, your mind only quiets down when it finally sees that it is the source of your pain, not the solution to it. And once that happens there really aren't any words for how and why that would happen. And or words for the intensity of the positive nature of the experience. So, we have a few minutes left for comment or questions. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, 
we can have a conversation. How is this landing for you? Area code 828, you're in the air Uh or you will be shortly. Is this Magda? Yes, it is. Hi, Dr. Kim. Welcome. Thank you so much for reading that last chapter. It sounded a few days ago as if you thought you might not even read it and, um, you know, that we weren't, none of us were ready for it, um, possibly. So I'm glad you went ahead and read it. I really love it. And I'm, and I'm hoping that you will take your time to eventually at some point when it's right, read it again. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to say. And the other um, subject I wanted to bring up is sharing of a worksheet I did the other night, you know, the 3 o'clock in the morning kind of night. Um, and I was thinking about what you had said about the benefits of doing worksheets on the show, which I totally agree with. And while I was going through this worksheet, I I realized um, that I don't think it would be appropriate for me to have done this on the show because it takes me sometimes a good long uh, time to actually, after I get to a certain point, to ponder, not ponder as much as feel, and wait, wait for the inner response before I go ahead to the next step. And I should think that that would be quite boring for listeners to go through. Um, So then it occurred to me that actually the worksheet could be perhaps of benefit by sharing it after it's done and actually reading through it with some commentary as well. and not just talking about, I did a worksheet about this general subject and this is what happened, but actually reporting the worksheet itself by reading Basically it. Basically what, what, what I did in the shows last week? Yeah. Because in I most of those shows, I, I read through the, the worksheets step by step. Yes, well then that's that's it. <laughs> That's funny because I do not remember you reading. It seemed as if you were paraphrasing or, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I didn't read every word in the worksheet each time, but I read through what my responses would be for each of the numbers. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I guess that's the trail I'm on. (laughs) And and if you would like... um, there's a worksheet I'd be willing to share um, tomorrow or another day. I'd be happy to have it. You know, one of the things that um, has come up when I've mentioned doing more worksheets this coming year is the realization that the vast majority of them would have to be me doing a worksheet because we Mm -hmm. practically every day invite people to call in with comments, questions, answers, or support doing a worksheet, and it rarely happens. So if you've got one you're willing to share, that'd be perfect. 
And if we had, you know, okay. ten minutes in, instead of four, I'd say let's let's do it now. But absolutely, <laughs> I'd be happy to start the show with it tomorrow if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. That's uh, tomorrow is Thursday. Yes, I can do that. Yes. Okay. Well, then I will plan on it, and we'll see how that goes. And and Lovely. one thing that I'm I'm aware of too is that what I would like uh, as as you listen or other people listen and they want to call in, is to um, support me by perhaps um, doing some uh, guidance in, in retrospect. Like, hmm, I think when you did, you know, this part, you really got off subject and you, you changed the worksheet, that sort of thing, because that does happen. I've been known to do that. <laughs> and um, so... So, yeah, so I'd like that kind of feedback as well. Okay. All right. All right, I, good. We'll, we'll, make, we'll make sure that we, you know, specify that tomorrow or whenever you call back to work through the worksheet. Yeah. And um, it is it, it's a delicate thing at times, but when you specifically say I welcome the feedback, it makes it that much easier because sometimes people don't mm-hmm. want that the input, they just want to be heard. And so... Thank you for that, and we'll we'll make sure that it's part of our preamble as we go into the worksheet and you reading it whenever we do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'll aim for tomorrow, and unless something changes around here, um, I'll talk with you tomorrow morning. Great, wonderful. Thanks for the call. Blessings. Uh-huh. Blessings to you. Bye-bye. So that takes us pretty nearly to the end of our hour. I say pretty nearly because there's no sign of Jeannie or Michael yet on the switchboard, so um, hopefully one or or both of them will click in soon. Uh, I I guess that's not the case. I guess what's going to happen today is I just got a text that said play play an hour for them. So um, what's that going to be? Let's see. So the second hour today is going to be a recording, apparently. And um, all I have to do is find it on the recording list. So here's an interview with Dr. Michael Rice for your second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Here's your second hour. Today's episode is super impactful, and it's, you know what, a perfect timing right off the episode we just did with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Bruce Lipton on the previous episode really outlined how your thoughts could destroy your health, destroy your immune system, or build it back up. Well, Dr. Michael Rice, his work is very much aligned with Dr. Bruce Lipton's work. This is the first time Dr. Michael Rice has been on the show. Well, actually, that's not necessarily true. He was actually as a bonus part of a previous episode with Dr. John Lawrence, we brought on Dr. Michael Rice, who happened to be in that room. The man is super smart. He really understands breath work, how the mind works, how to change your thoughts, how to go from being a victim to a victor. And we get into some great things here. And Dr. John Lawrence joins us as well. This is the first time somebody has been on the show for the fourth time, and that is Dr. John Lawrence. He's been on several times talking about melatonin, speaking about 
PRP injections, speaking about biohacks, and much more. We'll drop links for previous episodes with Dr. John Laurent down below. But we get into the conversation of the way you are viewing the world through perspective and energy. What perspective, what energy are you using to view that world? We get into the definition of love and how love is flowing through yourself. Dr. Rice explains this process of still point breathing and how that could relieve mental and emotional stress. We get into the importance of forgiveness on your journey and what exactly forgiveness means. A lot of people think forgiveness is letting somebody off the hook, but that's not what forgiveness means, and you'll understand on today's episode. We get into one basic principle around fasting and spiritual practices, how to get the love to flow with every single one of your breaths, why hate is a disease and it halts the healing process, how you can live by dying, and much more. We go deep. So sit back, enjoy this one. You're going to really get a lot of value from this conversation. Dr. Michael Rice is the founder and director of Heartland, a self-healing center in the Ozark Mountains. He is a world-renowned lecturer and teacher on health and healing with doctorates in naturopathic medicine and in holistic philosophy. The focus of his studies combined body-mind principles, physics, and ancient studies into a unique body of pioneering work in the fields of self-healing, healing through relationships, anger and grief resolution, world peace, and inner process of forgiveness. Dr. John Laurence has a gift for difficult cases where other practitioners have failed. With the successful integration of functional neurology, chiropractic, naturopathy, nutrition, using the Assyria detoxification programs, Lumomed, and other protocols, his musculoskeletal ultrasound training includes over 100 hours through the Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, 60 hours through AAOM, 90 hours through AOAPRM, and 60 through TOBI. That's a lot of training. Let's bring them both on the show. Dr. Michael Rice, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Delighted. Honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And Dr. John Laurence, welcome back for the fourth time to the Keto Camp Podcast. Yeah, I'm pleasure to be here, Ben. So this is going to be a really deep conversation that I am personally excited about. And I would love for you, John, because you've known Dr. Michael for 30 years, I think you said. I would love for you to share your relationship with him and how, you, how his work has helped you in your life. Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me on the show for the fourth time. Very flattered. We've had some great conversations on uh, Keto Camp, and uh, it's just a great platform. I've learned so much about ketogenic diet and uh, fasting. You're a wealth of information, so pleasure to be here and associated with you. Thank you. With that said, um, so Michael Rice is a very close friend, very dear friend, and I first met him when he was speaking at Unity Church, like you said, you know, it was like 30 years ago, and I was going through a very dark time in my life. I was going, you know, I'd just gotten divorced, and I was having just lots of anxiety. I was depressed, and, and I, I was just struggling trying to find some answers for and some relief for some of the... Uh, the negative emotions I was having. And so when I showed up at Unity, Michael started talking about having the brain cells to see things and unique perspectives. And I remember he told a story about if it was the first time you were seeing a propeller moving, you might think that that was a, a disc versus actually a propeller moving. So, it, you know, it has to do with the way that you're viewing the world and your perspective. 
And so I went to an intensive that he had. And at the end of the intensive, he taught us to do something called still point breathing, which I still do today. It's one of the most valuable techniques that I've learned. And this was breath work way before Wim Hof, way before everyone else has kind of jumped on the bandwagon of doing breath work. Michael was way ahead of that. You know, I don't know how many, I'll let him describe it, but um, this was such a monumental upgrade for me to regain some health. And there's something called your autonomic nervous system. And when you do breath work, you're supporting this really important, important part of your nervous system that regulates your heartbeat and your blood pressure and your digestion and your blood vessels and your circulation. And so this is a really, really important episode. This subject matter is really important, working on mental, emotional, spiritual applications. And some of the breathing exercises that Michael teaches are just really monumental. So with that said, I bring you Dr. Michael Rice. Well, thank you, John. Delight to have worked with you over the years, and I appreciate what you've taught me in the healing realm as well. So it's a powerful gathering that we're here to do. And, uh, Ben, what I've been hearing of your work and as things have I've been listening, sat in that last interview you did with John. It was a, a nice space for I've worked with people for, with fasting for decades, used to guide people through deep detoxes and cleanses. And uh, I've, I've built some new brain cells, gotten some new understanding of that whole process as well. So that was a great conversation to, uh, to join in. Thank you. Yeah, and you added to that conversation at the end. So if you didn't listen to that episode 240, Dr. Michael Rice added about 10 minutes of just brilliance, which she's going to dive deep into now. So, yeah, go back to your story. How long ago did you get involved with this area with your expertise, and why did you get involved with it? Well, you know, the starting point for me was the last six days that I was in utero, my mother had toxemia. On the evening of my birth, they called my father at work and said, if you want to see this kid alive, you better get down here because he's not going to be here in the morning. And they had given her Pitocin for six days to try to force me out of the womb. And the next 25 years, I lived on inhalator and pills, oxygen tent. And and I got to the point where I realized that while the drugs they were giving me were keeping me alive, they were killing me that it wasn't health-producing, though it was life-preserving. You know, you look at quality of life issues. And uh, and so that set me on a track, set me on a journey. I had to find healing. And my original work, my training before that had been in electronics with a side study in physics. And I was in the technical world. And when I first came across the, uh, the field of naturopathic medicine, what became clear to me, I'm, I'm a naturopath, and what became clear to me is that we're dealing here with an energy system. So everything that I learned from Einstein and everything that come, you know, down the pike with all of that physics study and such started to unfold in the realm of health and healing and wholeness. And you know, one of my favorite quotes from Einstein is, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we've heard before called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. 
there is no matter. Matter doesn't exist. We don't live in a material world. That's a trick. Our eye, perceptual constructs in our mind lie to us. You know, John made reference to one of the examples that I use. We bring a guy from the jungles of South America, and we stand in front of an airplane propeller, you know, spinning on the airplane. And does he see four arms spinning around the pivot point? No. What does he see? He sees literally his perceptual system because it can't keep up with the rate of spin of the propeller shows him a shiny silver disc, something that isn't there. Well, if you could see what's in front of you, if you could actually adjust the rate of vibration, you know, if we could say to this fellow standing in front of the propeller, okay, we're going to adjust your eye now, and you're going to see that this is actually forearms spinning around a perfect point, his whole world would change. And he'd realize that every word that he developed based on this being the shiny silver disc was false. It just wasn't accurate. It just wasn't true. And when we start to realize if you could adjust the rate of vibration in which your eye perceives me or yourself in the mirror, you'd see this whirring mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. You wouldn't see a body. And everything based in a conversation about bodies is a lie. This is not true. Now, we've got a whole perceptual construct made up where we, we make sense of it, and it sort of works. But how often do people end up saying, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I try. It doesn't matter what happens. Why is this happening to me again? Or sometimes people say, why are they doing this to me again? That, by the way, is the title of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I feel blessed the universe reserved that for me. And it's happening to me again, and I don't care whether it's health or relationships or finances or just my, you know, when I look at this person in the mirror, it happens because there are energetic dynamics in me out of which I'm creating my life, and I am unconscious of those dynamics. One of the workshops I do is called On Creating Consciously. We you know, probably one of the greatest atrocities done to us as human beings down through the ages, and that we've bought into is that we've hidden, been hidden, had hidden from ourselves the fact that we are by nature creators. You and I are creative beings, which of course is an idea that everybody loves when the creation's going well, but when the creation's not going so well, don't we know who the name of the perpetrator is? And isn't their name always them? If only they'd be different, my life would change and the outcome would be different. One of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines to deliver in my workshops is, you'll notice if you've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the only one that was there every time. It's about you. And when you realize this is an energy system through which you create, then you start to realize that you create according to the content of this energy system. And this energy system that we call, or at least one aspect of it that we call a body-mind unit, is literally a multi-generational database that holds everything that's gone on in our whole bloodline. And there are energies that support our life force, and there are energies that will destroy us. And if you go back and, and you know, the, the next piece in my personal journey was to encounter the first century Aramaic teachings of the New Testament. And I want to be clear that we're not going to go in the direction of a religious conversation because in the New Testament, in Aramaic, the original language, it's not about a religious conversation. It's about physics. It's about physiology. It's about psychology. It's about genetics. Mm. 
when they said the sins of the fathers will be passed again to three and four generations, they weren't talking about how you're going to get punished for what has happened. They're telling you how your physiology works. And then if you look at that word sin, sin in Aramaic is not what the Greeks have taught us. It's some terrible, awful thing that you've done and you're going to be punished for it. The word sin is an archery term. If you went out on the, on the archery range and you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper will, will yell sin. It just means off the mark. Mm-hmm. And when I engage in energy that's off the mark, then I start the deterioration of this energy system. Wherever the deteriorating, wherever the off-the-mark energy is, the disintegrative energy is, I start to create disintegration in tissue. Now, there are lots of things I can do on a symptomatic level to try to fix that, Mm-hmm. And I can manipulate it, and I can move it forward. But in the last analysis, you notice pretty much everybody ends up, and the bottom line is, why is this happening to me again? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And it's not until I recognize the energetic patterns out of which I'm creating my life, and that if they are patterns that are not based in human life, then I'm in trouble. My health is in trouble. My relationships are in trouble. My finances are in trouble. It, it, it hits every area of our lives. And so, of course, then it comes to the question of, well, then, Michael, if, if that's true, what's the energy that this system's designed for? Mm-hmm. And my offering is that there aren't enough words in any language on the planet to describe that. But there is a way to have a direct experience of that, and that is hold a newborn baby. Have you ever held a newborn baby? Yeah. If you went back to the moment where you held that newborn and you tapped into the essence of that newborn, what word would you use to describe that newborn? Single word, the essence of the newborn, not what was going on for you. Love. Yeah. So that's a question that my wife and I, Jeannie, have asked of tens and tens of thousands of people all over the globe. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because that's the stuff we're made of. Now, the next question I usually ask people when I ask that newborn experience is, tap in once again to the essence of the newborn and ask yourself the question, is the newborn loving you or is the newborn love? Hmm. Pretty clear. So my offering is that that's, that's the best way I've found to establish what we are designed for and the fuel that's designed to motivate to move through the human cell. In fact, I was doing a a still point session. John was talking about still point earlier. I was doing a a still point session just a, a few weeks ago and was given a whole new insight and for me a whole new definition, a definition of love. And that is that love or pardon me of life, that life is love flowing through a cell. And anything we do to restrict that physically, mentally, emotionally is going to create disease processes. In the ancient Aramaic, where there was a disease process going on, there was a solution to that disease process. And the solution, and and again, you can't bring Greek brain cells into this because if you bring the Greek into it, everything gets flipped exactly backward. In the Aramaic, the solution was forgiveness. 
Now, you'll notice the Greeks have taught us that forgiveness is this thing that is really nice for me to do because, of course, it's all your fault. You're the reason I'm in pain and trauma, again. But I'll let you off the hook for my pain and trauma. Then everything's going to get better in my life. And that's just a total fraud. I mean, when you really think about it, so I've got an energy moving through me that's painful. I've been through this energy 87 different times with 42 different people. I've had this pain. But today, while it's moving through me, I'm going to blame you, the new person that I just met last week. Hmm. And then I'm going to accept the resolution of I'm going to let you off the hook for that pain that's moving in me again, and I'm so, going to expect things to get better. Go ahead, John. So, Michael, if I could, if I could kind of like bring this back a little bit. So there's, there's all this language going on in the subconscious or the emotions that are coming up. So there, we think thoughts, and then there's an emotional reaction to those thoughts, right? Correct. I think there's a Shakespeare um, quote. Emotional result. Our words fly out, our thoughts. Um, uh, mean below. Yeah. Unconscious. So, you know, what I think is really just, it blows my mind to think about it. So I know that you started out as a deacon in the Catholic Church, right? Is that right, mm-hmm. Michael? Yep. And then you had an assignment where you were working on the original Aramaic Bible. So literally wow. the original scripture that Yeshua was Jesus's original name, it was the original Bible. And I think they, didn't they try to like, eradicate all of them or destroy them at one point there was one left or something well there was actually a um, a man named rabola his name is the root of the word rabble rouser today and he was a bishop in the church and it wasn't actually the roman church that my work there was in the eastern orthodox church but where they're working with the original aramaic language as the language of their scriptures but uh, Rabala was a bishop who attempted to eradicate. He literally tried to track down all of the Aramaic writings and destroy them and replace them with his interpretation. Yeah, it's crazy. It's you know, crazy. I mean, we can only postulate why they wanted to do that, because when you start looking at the, the, the original writings of Jesus compared to what's in the Bible now, there's a lot of languaging that, almost sounds like they're trying to put a lot of fear and almost there's some controlling aspects and some political aspects of it. Whereas the original, like just even that example that you used about sin, I mean, for those watching this, just think about that. Like we're talking about an archery term, you missed, try another shot. I mean, it's like inviting people like, Hey, you're, it's all good. You know, you're good. You're, you're trying, but just a little bit to the left, right? Versus, you're going to go to hell and burn for the rest of existence, right? I mean, there's a huge difference between those two. And uh, there's so many different examples of some of the um, original context that that Yeshua brought. I'd love to hear some more of that from you. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is really important here to, to recognize is that another lie that we've been taught is that we have a pair of windows called eyes, and we look out through our eyes and we see what's out there. Now, from a physiological point of view, from a physicist's point of view, that's ridiculous. The eye is a one-way valve. Yes, it receives information in the form of light. That light entering into the eye causes brain cells to fire, causes energy to move through resonance, 
And whatever is stored in the mind will show up as the picture that we think we see out there, but the picture we think we see out there is nothing but a construct in our own minds. Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting uh, research that comes out of Harvard. Actually, it's, it's the most quoted research in psychology for decades, and it's work that was done where they showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells were fine. I mean, they got people hooked up from electrodes. They can measure 10,000 bits of electrical activity going on, and the max amount of information that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits of data. We can see this little tiny piece of this mass of information moving, and in that same time frame, it's been estimated that there are approximately 20 trillion bits of data going on in the actuality. So when you realize that everything you see and you have ever seen is a construct of your mind, whoever is in charge of what structures your mind, which is, for humans, primarily language, constructs the world you see and the world you live in the world you inhabit. Hey, I want to let you know about an amazing company who offers really impressive foods from nature. I'm referring to wildfoods.co. If you're looking for a one-stop shop for your keto supplements, keto coffee, keto nuts and seeds, and amazing collagen protein powders, you're going to want to check out wildfoods.co. Wild Foods specializes in real foods from small producers around the world. They're passionate about their ingredients, and they have a powerful story. All their products do not contain artificial sweeteners, no gluten, no soy, no refined sugars, no preservatives, and no fillers. They adhere to ridiculously high standards like myself, which is why I endorsed So if you're looking for some keto protein powders, golden milk lattes for some restful nights of sleep, multivitamins for men and women, cacao powders, elderberry capsules for the immune system, wild Himalayan pink salt for your electrolyte balance, and much more, I want you to check out my friends over at wildfoods.co. As a listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, you will receive 20% off your order by using the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout. No space in between. KETOCAMP, camp with a K at checkout. Get 20% off your order. Head to wildfoods.co. Use KETOCAMP at checkout and enjoy their awesome products. Until you bring back into alignment the language, everything's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, Vladimir Lannan is probably responsible for more deaths on planet Earth than any human being that's ever existed. Guess what he said in his writings? If you can change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy the culture. Hmm. We see that happening this day. Culture is transferred from human to human by words. And when you change the meaning of the words, all of a sudden, person A has a certain set of words for something. Person B has the same words but different brain cells, and their mind generates a whole different picture. Neither well, one like of them is reflecting the actual world. It's just like the word sin. We don't about. It's such right. a different perspective just on that one word alone, you know, and, and, and it's a cultural thing, right? So all these different words have different meanings, and then we filter these, these words and these meanings and collections of meanings and we construct our reality. I mean, I had this conversation with a patient that came in just yesterday and she was depressed and had anxiety. And so I was just talking to her about there's different ways that you can look. And it was COVID that was primarily just 
causing so much stress for her. And I was telling her my experience of COVID has been much different. And it's just because I'm looking at life differently. And, you know, what, one question I wanted to ask, and of course I've got my own idea of what you, how you would answer this, but when I was suffering so much, when I came to you, you know, 25, 30 years ago, and you had me do that still point, I felt better for a long time after, after doing that session. Obviously, I, I continued to do some work, but what was really happening there that gave me so much relief of my mental emotional stress? Well, my offering would be that, well, there are many levels I can answer that question on, but let's take it on the primary. You'll notice when people are in disturbance or upset, the first thing they do is shut down their breath. When you shut down your breath, you literally lock down the mind energy that's trying to surface that you don't want to look at and you don't want to deal with. And so you watch people when they're in emotional trauma and emotional upset, and they subventilate. And what happens is they create an artificial barrier. You know, if you talk to psychologists today, they'll tell you that 90 to 95% of your mental processes are unconscious. My offering is that the unconscious is a totally and completely unnatural condition for a human being. We're not designed to have an unconscious. Mm-hmm. We're designed to have a conscious awareness and then subconscious, which is all the data that is that we can access anytime we want. But when we create this artificial barrier, and, and if you go back into the ancient teachings, they talked about it as a veil. They said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. And then they were often told it was about a purple curtain in the church. No, this is the temple. The veil is the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. And when there's something we don't want to deal with, we lock the breath down and we lock those untoward energies into our unconscious, someplace we don't have access to. But they're still there and life is going to come along and resonate those things and move them and create the drama and the trauma and the pain that we experience. And if we keep holding our breath, we keep those energies locked in and we keep functioning out of that drama and trauma. Again, What do they say? The veil has to be open. The barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious has to be open. How do you open it? You open it with the breath. Mm. The proper operation of the breath opens the unconscious and puts you into process. And process, in my work, I define as the ability to hold love, your essential nature, conscious, active, and present, when something less than love comes up. Mm. And so... You'll remember in that still point process, we opened, we moved into, we did exercises that moved into a space of bringing love into an active present state. And then when people breathe, started to open that veil, whatever starts to surface, you go into high speed, fast forward process, especially when you hit the still point. And the still point is a place where the breath, as opposed to being held, spontaneously stops. That's when the veil is wide open. Mm-hmm. And you can process, you know, whatever your vitality has the strength to process, you can move out of your structure and be done with it. It doesn't mean you're finished with that issue because there's a, an automatic shutdown mechanism in the structure that you can only open what you've got the vitality to handle. I use the example of, you know, let's imagine we create a vitality meter. It goes from 1 to 10. And this has to do with a lot of different health tools, what they do is they don't heal anybody, but they create 
extra vitality. And when one gets to a new level of vitality, they can process the dis-ease energies they've been holding on to. So let's imagine we've got a vitality meter goes from 1 to 10. And here I am at a level 5 vitality. And I have a level 7 toxin. Let me get my hands in. So I have a level 5 vitality. And I have a level 7 toxin. I can want to process that level seven, level six stuff until the cows come home. But there's a built-in suppress mechanism that if my vitality is only out of five, this isn't going to open. Mm-hmm. It's going to remain shut down. Because if it did, it could literally physiologically kill me. As I do my work, and, and what happens with a still point is you connect to new levels of vitality, I can build that five, that six, that seven, and I get up to a level 7.5. And this is something that creates a lot of confusion for people who engage in different tools without really understanding the healing process. If I've got this level 7 toxin and I all of a sudden am at a level 7.5 vitality, all hell breaks loose in me. Mm-hmm. All that I've been trying to hide for myself, maybe my whole life, maybe for generations, starts to move and up comes confusion and fear and rage and guilt and all that stuff. And people, well, I'm going to quit. And, you know, well, let me go just get something to shut me back down again. But when I hit those new levels of vitality, it's the opportunity to move to the next level of accessing those disintegrative energies, literally in Aramaic, my sin processing through them and removing them so there's no longer a load on the cell. Then I need to do all these machinations to take care of it. The cell's restored to its connectedness to love, and it functions as it's designed to. With the proper power supply, it organizes its own chemistry to be perfectly balanced and functional as it was designed to be. But when we disconnect from that when love is not present. And I mean, just take a look at the political situation today. How many people in our world even can fathom what love is or have the direct experience of its presence? And if I'm connected to a power supply that is off the mark, then my energy system is in a state of winding down. We call that diseases, and there'll be degenerative, 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 degenerative until death occurs. If we start to, and one of the key tools is breathe, do what it takes, like fasting, like nutritional support, you know, all the medical procedures that you do in, in your office, you know, watching you do that uh, stem cell process was really powerful to just sit there and watch the skill and the ability with which you did that, John, was really pretty awesome for me. But yeah. when, we, when we then have those things and we're doing the work of unloading the cell from what didn't belong, reconnecting to a proper power supply. And if you remember, in that still point process, there were moments where you were just totally and completely connected to the active presence of love. Mm-hmm. When that happens, healing occurs. Yeah. It, it, you know, filter. Uh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to kind of chime in because I know what probably a lot of people listening to this, because it, it's such deep information that it's, it's hard to really wrap your head around the totality behind it. And your body of is, is going to, yeah, it's, it would take us a long time to really give people the, the full experience. Certainly we're going to give people an opportunity to be able to find out where to find you and more about you. But I think one of the things that I, I really want the, the, the listeners to understand is that there's, there's a, an aspect of forgiveness that you figured out and it's completely different than, Basically, this is another, you know, message that Yeshua, Jesus brought to us was 
that there's a forgiveness process, which it's not letting someone else off the hook, but it's more of like, for instance, I have my sister yells at me and I get angry. And one of the things that's really helped me out a lot is to know that anger is not a true emotion and that it's a drug. And so I use that drug so I don't actually have to feel what's really underneath, which is something in my subconscious that's usually either fear or it's sadness. And so with regards to the work that you teach, what I think is so amazing about your work is you actually have a process of basically uncovering that and then placing that in the context of pure love and it dissolves. And so this is a way that people can literally go through and address these subconscious emotions that are basically causing all of these negative emotions, really. Yeah. Yeah. And the process, you know, again, one of the things we work to do, I have a video called Aramaicisms. It's a four hour video where an Aramaic scholar and myself discuss and, and Aramaicisms is a, a term I coined to represent our effort to restore the original meaning of the first century Aramaic words. Mm-hmm. And so go through that. And so one of them we just covered was love. You know, we've been taught love is sexual athletics or, you know, sacrifice yourself, lay, you know, lay down your life for yourself. No, it's the essence of who we are. Then probably the next most important word that's been degraded is the word forgiveness. It's got nothing to do with me letting you off the hook because there's disintegrative energy because in the Aramaic sense, there's sin in me. There's something that doesn't belong that's loading my cells up and creating all kinds of disease processes, which I can go and do all kinds of medical things about it which can help and support and prolong the life of the cell. But if I don't deal with the original offending energy that's in the cell, real health is not going to be available to me. And it just takes time to build the brain cells for that. In fact, go back 2,000 years ago, and the Greeks kind of translated this one fairly well. You hear Yeshua saying, you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Those who seeing do not see, those who hearing do not hear. What is he saying? He's saying there, if you don't have the brain cells for the truth of what's happening in your life, you're going to create a perceptual structure, and you think you see what's going on, but the truth is you're not seeing anything at all except a projection from the disintegrative content of your own mind. And so you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. You've got to build the brain cells for the truth of what's going on. And, you know, that's been the thrust of the last 50 years of my work. And, you know, five days a week I do a radio show from 1 till 2 o'clock Eastern time where we're there to help people to build the brain cells. We've actually got 10 years of archives. I don't know how many thousands of hours are in our archives. People can go back and access and build the brain cells. We've got an app for doing first century Aramaic forgiveness on your phone. You know, we've we've spent the last half century developing tools to support people in developing the brain cells to really comprehend what's going on. And then the how-to, you know, my original work was in electronics. And, you know, in that field, if you were designing a piece of electronic equipment or repairing a piece of electronic equipment, it didn't matter what your philosophy was. When it came off the other end of the bench, it had to work. (laughs) And so that's sort of been my thing is each time I've touched into something that can support people in the healing process, we get it down to here's the tool, here's how you can use it. So we have a what we call reality, man, reality management or forgiveness uh, worksheet. We have codependence. We have relationship materials. We've got a whole cadre of materials for supporting people, building the brain cells for acquiring a set of tools and using them to literally change the constructs 
of their minds. You know, you think about six people go into a courtroom and testify about an accident, and you're sitting there and you wonder if any two of them were at the same accident because their descriptors are so different. Why? Because no two of them were at the same accident. Oh, yes, externally, they each experienced the same actuality, but each one saw in their nine-bit mind, if they had a mind that could hold nine bits, the actual laboratory stats on that one were five, or pardon me, seven plus or minus two, but each person, all they have to do is be looking at a different nine bits of information in their minds, and they have a different reality about what happened. When we start making room for people to have different realities and having to insist their reality has got to be the same as ours, because the truth is we're all sitting around looking through these nine-bit minds at something that is so huge and so magnificent that everything that's of value in that nine-bit mind, we would gladly throw away for a taste of that actuality. And then what the tools this man Yeshua developed, and that's where the core of my work comes from, the first century Aramaic teachings of the man, the tools were designed to take people to that experience so they live there 24-7-365, literally back to our original nature as love, functioning out of love, and whenever something less than that comes up, move it out. One of the first indicators that something less than love is moving is people will hold the breath. Now let's take another layer of looking at the breath and why that's so powerful. If you go back into the Aramaic language in the creation story, they tell us God sent out his breath. Not what it says in Aramaic. Or pardon me, the Greeks tell us God sent out his spirit. In Aramaic, what it is is that God sent out his breath. It's our direct connection to the creation. And when we cut ourselves off from it, it's like we're out here on our own suffering. We open a whole different energy flow through the structure and through the system, and then that opens a space where I realize now I've got work to do because I'm designed to be this device that this active presence of love flows through and expresses its life, and I've shut it down to a dripping tap filled with hostility or fear, wishing I could have life and health and abundance. There's a couple questions that I've got. One is, um, do you think that there's something related to the release of DMT with the still point breathing? And the second question, this is the million dollar question, is, was Jesus keto? Um, <laughs> he fasted. So. Now, I know he broke bread, but um, I, I, I know that ketosis is such a valuable, and fasting is such a valuable asset to a lot of spiritual practices and a lot of meditation practices and actually getting that feeling of love. So I'd love to hear your take on that too. Well, John, I don't know if you've ever touched into it as a naturopath, but one of the basic principles I was taught in naturopathy around fasting was that the part of the mind where the ego is seated, where the false self, the self that's based in errant power person, what I call power person messages, the place where that's seated in the brain is fed directly from the stomach. And when you fast, it gets no nutrition, it starts to collapse. And that's where that wider state of being can open and come into expression. Hmm. 
And, and by the way, it, you know, as far as building the brain cells, we started on that topic and, and support. You know, five days a week, people are welcome to call into my radio show, one till two o'clock Eastern time, and it's a, it's an internet show. Most people, of course, because we've got you know unlimited long distance these days on our phone, just call in, and the calling number is five six three. 999-3581, and we're there an hour a day, five days a week to answer questions. Awesome. We'll put that in the notes. So we'll have Rachel put that in the notes down below. Uh, you know, I, I would like to dive into real quick uh, some practical things that the audience can do because I love how you shared that life is love going through your cells, and anything less than that is going to end up in dis-ease, right? What I'm hearing is that it really starts with noticing and being aware of your breathing. And the minute or the second that you notice you're holding your breath or you're breathing through your mouth or you're just not letting it flow, that's something we want to correct. So what are some ways to have awareness that's a quick awareness to that? And what can we do to get the love back to flowing with our breath? Well, all you have to do is breathe fully in order to, to start to open the gateway for that flood of love to come back into literally be incarnated and for, I mean every tool that I teach I mean if, if I were an intensive right now I've actually got a board behind me that's one of my intensive boards and if I were an intensive I'd turn around with the marker now and I'd write on the board and everybody in the class would be laughing because I do this over and over and over again when somebody says well how do we do this it's all of the above it literally if you went back to my first radio show 10 years ago and you listen to every minute five days a week for 10 years I wouldn't talk about anything else except that question. Here's the how-to, and it it's, comes in every arena, every perspective from, you know, like when we do an intensive, we do total fresh and raw dietary regimen. We serve nothing cooked, everything's fresh and raw, and that vitalizes, that strengthens, that builds vitality. And then, you know, I mean, there's just... 50 years of research and development on here are the tools, here's the how-to. So you say breathe fully, you just got to breathe fully, but some people don't even know what that means. Could you just explain a little bit more what does that mean to breathe fully? You know, the, the still point process itself is one that when you engage in it, you maybe confirm this, John, when you open up and you start moving things, it can be pretty intense deeply profound and so it's something that I only ever teach in person I don't write about it I don't give instructions here go home and do this because here's what not that you can do any damage with your breath I mean you're meant to breathe fully but if you've lived a life of dissociation you know of shutting the breath down to dissociate from content in your own mind and then you open the floodgates everything that's in there can start to move you go into what in naturopathic medicine is called the healing crisis and the healing crisis is the state where when we hit a new level of vitality you get to start to process what needs to be processed and so symptomatically when you start thinking of this body mind this whole device as an energy system then if there are things that are of a disintegrative nature that have been locked into and hidden in the system and you start opening them back up to move their release looks exactly like the disease process looked can you give an example uh, an example of that maybe with like a, a former client or somebody who's been through the process yeah I can if you look at this energy system 
as reflecting whatever energies are present in it, and you engage in a disease energy. Let's say the disease energy is hatred. When hatred comes into the field, our cellular structure, literally mind energy, we go back to the Aramaic here. The opening words in the book of John were told, say, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. Not what it says at all. What it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. When I think of thought, now, what are they proving in the cell biologist's laboratory today? When I think of thought, that thought becomes a neuropeptide. That neuropeptide shows up in my structure, circulates around in my structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches. It lands on the cell. Now, what the biologists are telling us is that the cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I don't think that's what happens at all. What actually happens if we were looking, you know, this is the outside of the cell, the neuropeptide lands on this, the receptor site. If we were looking inside, we'd see that, i get my hands in, in, in line here, as it comes in, what happens is that neuropeptide's inserting itself in the cell. And when we look at it, we call what we see in the cell chemistry. And so when you realize that this is a process, if, if this is hatred, the disease process of that neuropeptide hitting the cell, the cell screams, ouch, hurt, pain, trauma, stop this. But, of course, a fifth of scotch, and we can keep doing all the hatred we want, and we won't feel a thing. <laughs> when I decide that I want to heal, if I've done a lifetime of hatred, if I have a dad, a mother that was hateful, if I have grandparents, if I have generations of hate going on, then my healing process is going to look like having to feel, experience, and deal with a lot of hate. It's going to be a reversal of the energy flow. So an energy going into the structure creates a certain state, and as it starts to come back out, the state is exactly the same. You can't tell the difference between a disease process and a healing process by the symptoms because they're identical. So on a physical level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, healing looks like any kind of negative thought and confusion. On an emotional level, healing looks like any kind of negative feeling and depression. If I'm ready and I start breathing and I'm ready to go into a healing process, I might touch into this old depression, this old pain and trauma, hatred, vengeance, as it starts to move out. And if I don't have a support person there and I don't have the brain cells for dealing with it, I'm probably going to get myself into more difficulty. That's why I don't teach it other than in person. But the symptoms are identical, all the symptoms say is there's energy in the field. Is the energy going in? It's a disease process. Is the energy coming out? Am I breathing fully? Am I letting this life flow through me? Then it's going to throw off everything that doesn't belong. So when I become symptomatic, there are four things that will tell me that I'm in a healing process rather than a disease process. Four questions that I ask myself. The first one is, have I been doing more and more of the right things? i.e., have I been fasting to build vitality? Have I been doing my work? Have I been eating nutrition that is really, truly nutrition, or am I eating bankrupt, nutritionally bankrupt food? If the energy components aren't there, then the structure can't process out what it needs to process out. So the first thing is, am I doing more and more of the right things, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally? Am I spending time cultivating the presence of active love in me? If I'm doing that, it's highly vitalizing. 
So that's the first question I ask myself. And my answer is yes. And the second question I go to is just before I hit these horrible symptoms that I don't want to feel and deal with, had I hit a new level of vitality? Did I go to bed at night so excited about, oh, man, I got that breakthrough wife is, I got it by the tail. Man, I'm on top of the world. And then I get up in the morning and I wonder if anybody got the number of the Mack truck to through my room during the night because I'm lower than the snake's belly. What happened? I thought I was on top of the world last night. Yeah, you were. And now you've hit that new level of vitality. Guess what? All that old crap you've been dissociating from is going to start to move through and you're going to have to process through the symptoms of healing. So that's the second question I ask myself. Had I been doing the right thing? Third question is, what's happening with my elimination? In a disease process, there's a tendency for there to be a restriction of elimination. In a healing process, there's a tendency for there to be an increase in elimination. And we're talking about the skin, the urinary tract, the bowel, the mucous membranes, the lungs. We're going to start to process that energy out and through all of those systems. And then the fourth thing and this is especially important for people who've ever done any kind of addictive substances, and that is that literally when we're in the dissociated state and we've got our favorite drug, and it doesn't matter whether drug is junk food or alcohol or whatever, the, at least the energetic signature, if not the actual molecules of the substance I used to shut my vitality out so I didn't have to deal with this, are still present in physiology. When I become vital enough to throw that off, those molecules or those energetic signatures are going to start to move. And the tendency can be, if I don't know that that's what's happening, that that drug grabs me by the face and I get sucked right back into the addiction. Mm -hmm. So the alcoholic, you know, we've all heard about the alcoholic that, you know, got his 30-year chip, he's been sober, and the next day he fell off the wagon. What happened? Hey, a whole lot of people were there for him. He had a whole new level of excitement, aliveness, 30 years over, man. And his vitality became so high, and up came his old addiction, the energetic patterns of it that needed to be released, and he fell right back into the addiction. So, so they're the four things that tell you that your symptoms are healing in process. That's fascinating. That's what it would look like. If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit and consultation. And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals, or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott, who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements, and they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests, which typically indicate short-term results. Hair is the best identifier, and you could get that hair from your head, armpit area, or even pubic area, and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in, and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal, KetoCamp podcast listeners, to receive 10% off your order. Head to UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website.
That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10. The audience right now, I'm sure they're just I'm, – I'm really absorbing this information, and it's a lot. It's really deep, so it's probably going to be an episode that you want to listen to a couple times and then go to your radio show, which you gave the phone number. Besides the, the radio show, where else can they go to learn more about your work? Because you, you had mentioned offline you had, you're doing online intensive. So share a little bit more about that. Do you have a website they could go check out as well? Yeah, and I'll, I'll send you a link when we finish the show. I'll send you a link. There was a woman who recently in our codependence interdependence intensive did a piece of work that was generational. She was dealing actually with some heart issues. She'd just been in the hospital. You know, she's in her late 60s and been in the hospital, heart issues. And so in the intensive, she was given the assignment to deal with and to invite her ancestors to give her information about what was going on with her heart. And she went back to a conversation with a long dead, it was either grandfather or great-grandfather, who shared when they came from, I forget whether it was Lithuania, but somewhere in, in Europe where they were basically starving. And they thought they were coming to the streets paved with gold. And that he explained that they actually dug a, a hole in the ground, a cave in the ground to live in. And the survival and his rage, his abuse of his children and his spouse, because he was so threatened that, you know, how are we going to eat? Will there be food tomorrow? And, and her process with that and just I mean, it's just a sweet, powerful conversation that she recounts that she actually had with her dead grandfather or great-grandfather, whichever it was. So I'll send you a link to that if you want to put yeah, it in the notes. And absolutely. People can get a taste of the end result. And, you know, when you realize, you know, they talk about the ego, E-G-O, edging, if, if, if the scriptures are correct in their de definition of God, we've got love. It's not some do, but love, edging love out, E-G-O, edging God out. Mm -hmm. And this, this non-being self, literally, you know, we come in, the child, hold the newborn. Now, I mean, that child's enthusiastic about everything it touches and will come back to its abuser over and over and over again until what happens, the messages, the mind energy that comes from that power person of thought disorders they coagulate into a self, literally an image of a body that we as created love fall into identification with and think we are. You know, go back to Yeshua again. He says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How do you live by dying? But when you realize there's you, the true being, the love, the being that you are, that's designed to incarnate and live in this body, and then there's this false image of self that we fall into identification with, that's the self that has to die. It has to be taken apart. But like I made the reference to of the, the guy standing on the tarmac looking at the airplane propeller and seeing a shiny silver disc, you know, he's got generations and generations and generations of conversations and interaction with all of his friends around shiny silver disc. And not a word's true because it's a propeller. Mm -hmm. We've got generations and generations of conversations about bodies and how hate and fear and you know, rage and all that, and it's all a lie. None of it's true about the truth of who we are. And, and when we wake up to the truth of who we are, then the work of dissolving who we are not begins. And when people have a taste of that 
pure presence of love. I mean, it is so awesome. And they go back to their lives and, you know, maybe as you spoke, John, you know, that stayed with you for quite a while. But mm-hmm. sooner or later, what I call carbon-based memory or the non-being self tries to come back online. And it works to displace our experience of ourselves as the presence of love. And so when carbon-based memory, once you've had that taste so profoundly, so powerfully, and you want it, and carbon-based memory starts to kick back in, you've got to change that thing and bring it back into harmony with the truth of who you are. And that's the work. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.